Are you ready to uncover the power within you? Are you ready to kick butt at life? Are you ready to get this party started? This is Shut Up and Grind. If it's about fitness, women's empowerment, personal development, small business marketing, relationships, Robert B. Foster is talking about it. Robert is a gym owner. He went from foreclosure to multiple six figures in 12 months. Helped thousands of women shed weight and inches while becoming more confident. And a six times gold medalist in the Transplant Games of America. Get ready for Shut Up and Grind. Here's your host, Robert B. Foster. Okay, looks like we are live. Happy Wednesday, everyone. This is Rob with episode number 20 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So if you are new to the show, we keep it meat, meat, M-E-E-T. I made up that little acronym. We keep it motivational. We keep it entertaining. We keep it educational. And if you apply what we teach you in these, these shows, it's going to be transformational. So today's episode is going to be all about pain, physical pain, how to manage that pain. When when should should you seek out treatment? How can you prevent that pain? And helping me in that discussion, I brought in a man who is very, very knowledgeable in this field. He is Dr. Timothy Swenson, and he is the owner and president of Primal Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine. He's based out of Warwick, Rhode Island. And he spent the last four years practicing in the outpatient PT world in Rhode Island. And he's currently a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist. I have no idea what that means, but I'm sure he's going to clear it up for us. So please welcome in Dr. Tim Swenson. Say hi to the folks, Tim. What's up, everybody? How are we doing? (laughs) Really happy to be here. Thank you for that great intro. Love the energy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. So... So let's dive right right into that. Board certified orthopedic clinical specialist. Yeah. Explain that to me like I'm five years old. <laughs> so basically on the level playing field across the spectrum of physical therapists that have their license, everyone's licensed to treat. There's a step above that where certain fields of physical therapy, in my case, orthopedics, the other ones are you know cardiovascular, sports, neurological. There's several of them. Uh, basically, you need to go through, if you want to elect to do this, you need to go through either a residency program, which is a year long where you get dedicated training from an expert in the field who is already licensed as a board certified specialist. Uh, Or you can pretty much take some online course training over the course of a year, study up, learn on your own, do a lot of self-motivated learning, and then sit for a six hour long test that's really, really intense. And um, once you pass the exam, you get that certification for 10 years. And it pretty much, especially with the field of orthopedics, it's just more focused and targeted on the patient population that I'm comfortable in and typically used to seeing. And with that certification, basically it's saying that I'm knowledgeable and understanding of all the best knowledge and evidence that's out there to treat certain conditions. Okay. Very good. Very good. So now for me personally, I've had seven surgeries. So I've only gone to physical therapy after I've been injured. Yeah. So what, what made you 
want to pick this field of study? Yeah, so I've been under the knife myself three times for orthopedic surgeries. Growing up as a kid, I played a bunch of different sports. I was always really active, but I had a lot of knee pain when I first started growing up and playing basketball at a pretty young age and football and baseball and such. But um, primarily when I was playing basketball with a lot of running and jumping, I had a lot of this knee pain. And it happened at the same time where I was kind of growing and my body was changing and I was very much like a baby giraffe. I was super uncoordinated. <laughs> I just didn't really know how to move my body very well. And I think that really led to a lot of breakdown um, in my joints, especially my right knee at first, secondarily my left knee. So I've had three separate surgeries on each of them. It's been the same procedure every single time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I was 12 years old when I had my first surgery. So wow. that was my first exposure to physiotherapy and the rehab world. I had no idea until, you know, after the fact. Um, that wasn't something that I was doing prior to that, uh, prior to being injured or anything. It was more so about I get cut, I get fixed, and then I had to go to rehab to work on getting back to, you know, being able to run and jump and play sports and stuff like that. So when I was going through that whole process, uh, by the time I was a junior in high school, I was going through my second phase of rehab and I was really fortunate. My therapist was amazing. I really, really loved like how she treated me, how she worked with me and helped kind of guide me back to doing what I wanted to do. And that was right around the time where I was interested in obviously trying to figure out what I want to do for a career. Yeah. And so I had always loved sports. I'd always loved working with people. Um, science. I'm a huge nerd. So science to me is like my one true love. And I love science. Um, so being able to apply all those things and then use that as a career going forward just seemed like the great idea for me because I had been a patient for so long and, you know, nobody loves going through rehab. Nobody loves being <laughs> injured or in pain or um, just having to go through that experience because it's a trying process emotionally and physically. So I wanted to be able to take my experience flip it around and be on the other side of it and help guide people through what I had went through and uh, use my knowledge and expertise and experience to help them, you know, achieve their goals, regain whatever sort of function that they're looking to regain. Um, so that's pretty much, you know, in a nutshell, like where I kind of get my passion and energy for what I do. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I love it. Love it. Love it. So you got the skills, you got the passion for it. So now how can a patient benefit from coming to you versus just, going to Google, picking the nearest physical th therapy, physical therapist, like what are they going to gain from coming to you? Uh, I have amazing dad jokes and I love using them <laughs> left and right. I'm not a dad yet, but I do. <laughs> I would like to say, honestly, I feel like I create a really great connection with all my patients. I help them feel really comfortable in whatever situation that they're in. And because of the experiences that I've gone through, and all the things that I've done to like train myself to get to a point where I feel comfortable and knowledgeable enough to open up my own business, treat patients on my own. I do a really good job of getting patients to kind of buy into their plan of care and at the same time really enjoy it. And I think that that's something that you don't really get a lot of places, a lot of, you know, I can't speak for other physical therapists, but I just know myself having worked in the field for, you know, several years as a therapist and then also as an aide prior to going to school not a lot of therapists are entertaining. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. They're just not. Some people are just robotic. They don't really show that they care about their patients. Um, 
there's hardly ever a dull moment when I'm working with a patient. So I feel like the fact that my patients actually love coming in and love coming to see me and they get better at the same time, that's just a huge plus. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I've been to several, so I can definitely attest to that. There <laughs> there are some that were very down to earth, personal, and there are others that are just like an extension of the surgeon. Because, you know, a lot, lot of surgeons have no personality. And yeah. I, get, I get it with what they do. You know, you're not trying to, you know, toast beers with, with, with the, the guy or the woman. But it's, it is nice to feel welcomed when you come in. It's very nice. Yeah, totally. And I think that sets our profession, not even just myself, but our profession in a different realm than other healthcare providers, right? If yeah. you're coming to see me for physical therapy, chances are I'm going to see you a couple times a week. I usually see patients for 45 to 60 minutes at a time. I'm really lucky for that. And that time span is carried out weeks, months, whatever it might be to be able to get to their goals and help them progress to the next phase in their life. So realistically, if we're spending two hours a week together for eight weeks, that's a good amount of time to get to know somebody and to have a good back and forth conversation. And I just think one of the really amazing things about life in general is that if you just start asking questions to people and you start to hear things come out of their mouth that you maybe not necessarily anticipate, you can start to really learn more about them and you can dive into what gets them kicking, right? If I don't connect with my patients and I don't understand why they're in rehab and why they're willing to put themselves through what they're going to go through, then I'm not going to be as effective as a, a physical therapist as possible, right? Like if I'm working on your back, Robin, let's say, you're out of work because your back's killing you and you want to get back to doing things so that you can pay your bills, support your family, all these things. Like I need to know that before I can reciprocate that same sort of energy. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, it's just easier for me to be able to buy in and know that you have reasons for coming to see me. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's the same, the same with my, with my clients. The more I know about them, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? How bad do you want to do it? What are you willing to sacrifice to get it done? Like the, the deeper you dive into that dialogue, it just makes me a much better coach for them. So I can coach them according to their needs and not just because I want to be the world's, the world's toughest trainer. It's like my job is to get you to where you want to be. So that's, I agree with that 100%. For sure. so, so now what demographic is your favorite to work with? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, wow. it is. What a question. Um, I'm going to give you an easy answer because literally if you're motivated and you care, that's the demographic that I want to go with. But, I'm not going to let you get away with that answer. <laughs> just in general, I feel like I work best with people that are motivated and really care. And that's yeah. just a fact. However, I really think I connect with younger athletes on a very different level because I'd like to think that I still have some youth left and I've gone through a lot of experiences. As Dude, you're 28. You got a lot of youth left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, but nonetheless, I feel like the stuff that I've gone through in my life with sports, um, being injured, all the things that I've gone through, through like the education system, a lot of athletes that I'm working with are going through a lot of similar experiences and being able to have conversations with them and see them on day one and bring them through their plan of care so that they can, you know, get back on the field again or try to really make the first team uh, that they didn't make last year. And just to yeah. kind of reach their goals. That's what gets me up out of bed in the morning is that I can get that opportunity and I can help 
those certain patients really, really, really improve their ability to play at their top level on the field, court, wherever it might be. Nice. See, there was nothing wrong with that answer. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. No, yeah, I just vibe with athletes, man. That's just a fact. Yeah, like it's it's just it's just a part a part of business. Like you you have to know the demographic that lights up your your soul. And for me, like I said, I like working with the moms because so many moms. And again, I'm not saying all, but so many moms they put themselves on a back burner, and letting them helping them see that it's okay to prioritize yourself. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to go after the things that you want to go after. And then once they flip that switch. It, that's what lights my soul up. It's like, it's like I love it, taking them from I can't or I shouldn't to I can and I will. It's like that's what gets me going. Yeah, that's an amazing you know thought process because like you said, moms, and I've worked with a bunch of mothers over the course of my time, and like moms are the best. They go through so much and they put themselves, like you said, they put themselves on the back burner. Their health, their physical, mental, emotional health is always kind of like pushed back because the needs of their family and their children are always put ahead of them. And yep. that's, that's how they do it. That moms are the best. So when you can have that conversation with them and sit down and, and say, listen, like your health is your responsibility. It should be a priority. And it's so important to take care of your body because we only got one. And if you don't set strict and rigid standards for yourself in regards to taking care of your body and being healthy, there's just, your body's going to decline. Like naturally we are all getting older, but you, there's nothing that we can do about it other than actively work on staying youthful. And one of the ways of doing it is just by, you know, training, eating right, sleeping right, all those certain things that we, you and I know, but yeah. a lot of times people don't actively make the conscious decisions to make that change in their life. Exactly. And along the same lines is when people deal with pain when they don't have to. So surgery number three, I believe, was my right shoulder. I had a, I tore my bicep tendon. Ooh. And so when I was going through with the surgeon, you know, we're talking back and forth. And he says, you know, you can live with it. I was like, what will my limitations be? He says, well, you probably won't be able to lift beyond that. I said, who, who would take that option? I, I was like, like, you know me. You know how competitive I am. You know what an athlete I am. Mm -hmm. I was like, and, and I work in the gym. I was like, there's no way I would take I was like, cut me as soon as you can. But mm -hmm. there are other people, some people who even train with me, who are dealing with pain, and they have been for years, yeah. like for years. And I just can't understand that thought process because for me, when when people say put that they put their family first, I have several videos on this and it's not always received well, but I'm in the business of saying what needs to be said, not what people want to hear. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to truly put your parents first, I mean, sorry, your children first, you have to be the best version of yourself because <laughs> that's what yep. they're going to see. Right. Yep. So if you're always in pain, if you're unhappy, if you're miserable, if you're not doing the things you want to do because you're in pain. What kind of example are you setting for the kids? Yeah. You know? So yeah. So when it comes to being in pain, what are some of the, the biggest things that you see in your day-to-day -day practice? Sure. I think you make a really great point, right? I think naturally human beings inherently are very stubborn. And a lot of times people just deal with things and they suck it up and they just push forward, 
right? That's just what a lot of human beings do. Yeah. A lot of times that's an influence of our parents, right? Like the older generation that kind of taught us our ways and then instilled these values in our mindsets. You know, (laughs) think about the elderly population right now. Stubborn. Yeah. So stubborn. Okay. (laughs) Their children right now, my mom, so stubborn. My debts, very, very much in that same mindset. Love them both to death. That's great. <laughs> I know if my mom asked me for physical therapy advice, I, sh- I give it to her straight up. And I know for a fact that no matter what I tell her, she still will not do it. And it's mm-hmm. so frustrating to me. Um, <laughs> but that's a real life situation where a lot of people just think that being in pain is okay. And that's not a big deal. And they don't think that it's going to eventually catch up to them. But as you get older, it's it's going to. There's uh, only yep. so much that you can run from, right? So I think a lot of people will just be like, oh, back pain. Man, I got back pain. Everybody has back pain. So what? Whatever. Mm. That's not necessarily something that's normal, right? And there's so many different doctors, uh, surgeons, a lot of people in the medical field that will talk about pain as another vital sign. And, you know, like blood pressure, heart rate, all that stuff. Pain is another vital sign. It's a signal caused by your nervous system that something in your body is not going right. There is something happening that there, it's just an alarm, right? That's just a fire alarm signal. There's the alarm going off. Whether or not you choose to address that alarm, that's up to you. But if that alarm is constantly on over a long duration of time, Things are going to get to a point where they start to snowball out of effect. You start to see a lot of different changes in that particular individual over time. And it manifests in different ways, stress, anxiety, more pain, moving worse, having less ability to function. All of those things happen because people are just stuck in pain. They don't want to address it. And they just think that, oh, it's normal, right? Oh, I sit at work all day long. Of course, I have back pain. Yeah. (laughs) That's not... (laughs) That is, and I tell you, like, I know you and I are laughing about it, but like, those are real conversations that I have with patients that ultimately believe that that's an okay thing. And that's like a normal thing. And that obviously, it it upsets me. I I really think that the utilization of physiotherapy as a realm is underutilized because people just don't know how to ask for help. That's what it boils down to. People just don't understand that asking for help is okay. Yeah. And then people think that physical therapy is for old people or, you know, people (laughs) post-surgery. I'm going to sit there and just rub your muscles. Yeah. That's the kind of physical therapy my mom likes. And I'm like, you're crazy. You're not getting that PT with me. No chance. Yeah. Like the last time I went, I had... I had a right knee scope done and I'm in there and I have this, I went to a rebound and I have, I had my, my therapist, sorry, I couldn't spit that out. She was a student at URI. (laughs) So, you know, the, the first one, like she gives me like this little two pound weight. And I was like, I'm not going to bust her chops yet. I was like, you know, uh, I'll I'll deal with the two pound weight. And then, so on my second one, Oh, yeah, on my second one, I come in. I said, hey, how you doing? She's like, how you feeling? I said, I feel great. I said, do me a favor. Don't treat me like I'm a little bee today, please. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh. She's like, that's yeah. how we going to roll. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, was, great, I man. said, you're, you're not dealing. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so you're not dealing with one of these 70 year olds that have been sedentary their whole life. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, need, I need work. Like, I'm an athlete. <laughs> I need work. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me for a second that that's what you told her. I, knowing yeah. you, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> but, and it's so true, though. That's It's such a mindset thing, right? I work with a lot of people, or I used to work with a lot of people that were older. They're, you know, the population I was treating was a lot of Medicare, a lot of older people, and even just like parents in general, right? And as a therapist, my job is to challenge you. My job yeah. is to make you work really, really, really hard whenever you come in. Because if I don't, I'm not changing anything about your life, the way that you move, or the way that you interpret certain things about how you should be moving. Yeah. So when I have patients come in, they're going to be working really, really hard. And it might seem like when I'm working with a patient, then the movement or the movement pattern that we're trying to work on might seem novel. It might seem simple, but if it's done the right way and they do it correctly, there's been times where people will just break out and sweat and they're just laying on the table and trying to hold their body in a certain position and just yeah. breathing, right? And just breathing and just trying to be comfortable in that position that they're just normally not comfortable in. So it should be a it should be hard work every time you come in. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with one of my gals the other day. She has an elbow injury, and I keep asking. She, she keeps coming in with with the elbow brace and everything. I keep. I'm like, have you been seen yet? No, no, no. Because you know, <laughs> just whatever reason she says, and and I was like, you need to be seen. Like, just go and get seen. And she said, <laughs> she says, well. I know. Then what if they tell me I need surgery? Uh, I was like, then you get surgery, you go to rehab, you heal, and you get your life back. <laughs> I said, because yeah. right now you're not making any steps to get better. Yeah. You're just going to stay hurt every single day until you address the problem. Mm -hmm. like, I, like, I don't understand why, mm -hmm. why that's hard. And, you know, I not to throw judgment on your client, or there's a lot of people that do that sort of thing, right? They have this constant pain. They understand that it's there. They realize what sets their pain off, but then they don't do anything to change it. Yeah. Right? And if you're expecting things to change without actually changing what's going on, mm -hmm. that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. Right? That's literally what insanity is. If you just continue to do the same stuff over and over again and expect different results. Yep. You are a crazy person. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and yeah. she probably has a similar injury to what I had on my elbow and yeah. I was able to function with, within a week, like function, you know, like not like really lifting heavy, but like I could, I could use my hands, I can move around and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, but it was, it was a week. So I told her, I was like, you're worried about three months of rehab. So you'll take lifelong pain. <laughs> yeah. you know because you know, i hear that from people all the time oh well i'll have to rehab for x amount of time and i said yeah but the other option is be hurt forever yeah <laughs> like, right. I, I just don't get it i don't either and what happens when you're moving around in pain like obviously as humans we're masters of compensation right my back hurts when i bend over to pick up my shoe so what am i gonna do i'm gonna sit down and do it differently right yeah we always find a way to complete the task that we're looking to do one way or the other. Yeah. Right. But if that also puts us in a position where we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing as a conversation, then that's where other problems start to occur. Yes. 
that's where other things start to pile on and that snowball effects gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it gets tougher to stop. Yeah. So that's one of the huge things that I try to preach with patients or people that are like thinking about coming in for treatment is that, okay, you might not necessarily have a huge lack of function right now. Your life might be, you know, you might be able to get through your day-to-day life with a, a very minimal amount of an issue, um, but you're still having some discomfort. Nonetheless, if they were to continue to do that over time and not address it, things are going to snowball. Things are going to continue to get worse. The time to act isn't after the fact. It should always be before the fact. Yes. And as physical therapists, the typical treatment model is patient gets hurt, patient sees doctor, doctor sends patient to physical therapist, patient goes to get treated, right? That's the model. And that's what we're dealing with. And I don't necessarily think that that's the best treatment for patients. Yeah. It should all be before the fact. We should be able to identify movement dysfunction, potential for injury before it actually gets to that point where it's too late. And you have to go and get some sort of medication or a pill or surgery or re- like all those things come after the fact. If we can identify it and we can and we can see what's going on with that patient or client or whoever before it gets too bad, we can fix it ahead of time. You know, and that's what I love to be able to do is being able to look at something and watch a person move, break it down and figure out, ooh, okay, this is where things are not working the right way. Let's fix this so that over time you're not doing that the right or the wrong way and we're cleaning up that movement pattern, whatever it might be. And then that way they start to squat with less pain. They might start to, you know, press overhead with less discomfort, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, what are your what are your recommendations for you know so like on on the 10 scales like when you go to the doctor they usually say on a scale of 1 to 10 where's your pain so where do you think <laughs> okay my dog's going crazy <laughs> it's all right all right so like where where do you think on that pain level should people start to to seek out help oh i would usually i tell patients a little bit after like a 3 or 4 like Three or four is very mild, in my opinion, and you know, based off of the pain scale. Um, however, the pain scale is very subjective, right? Zero to mm. ten in my mind is different than zero to ten in your mind because I've had different pain experiences than you've had. True. Pain is very much a neurological perception that doesn't always correlate to what is causing that issue. Right. Yeah. I stub my toe on my couch, that's a 15 out of 10 for me. <laughs> and I've been through some certain that hurts. Yeah. That's not fun. Stepping on Legos. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. The Lego <laughs> step is brutal. So, like those heightened pain experiences are different for everybody. But in some instances, let's just say in, in this one case, like I was working with a patient years ago, and you know, or, or taking somebody's history when they first come in, and you know, we hear their symptoms, and you no, know, I've had some back pain for like you know a couple of weeks now, and it hurts when I do this, this, and that. I'm like, okay, well, at the worst, it's been like. 10 right now for you would be, I need you to go to the emergency room and I'm in that much pain. Yeah. Zero is absolutely no pain at all. And that's how I kind of word it to patients. And believe it or not, people that are very healthy and like mobile and, and functional, they'll still give me that 10 out of 10 pain. And I'm just, you know, in the back of my mind, <laughs> I don't want to, I'm never, ever, 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 ever in the position to deny somebody that they're having pain. Yeah. But 
it just tells me about their perception of the pain that they're having yes. and how much it impacts their life. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I feel a lot of it is neurological. A lot of it is. When I had my first surgery, it was on my left knee. I had a full patella tendon rupture where mm. my my kneecap was like You do a, a bit, good, huh? a, Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yep. My kneecap was a good ways up my thigh. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was a full blown rupture. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was in a track meet doing a high jump, and I planted to jump, and it just, it just oh. gave. I was thirty four years old, and I get to the ER, and the ER doctor, he was in there for half, half a second. He takes off the brace. He goes, "Ooh," he's like, "You're never gonna run or jump again." And I was Don't like, statements like what? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it it rolled right off of his tongue so yeah. easily. And yeah. so I started tearing. <laughs> this was in 2009. I had just started training. I made the transition from re- restaurant management into training. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can't, like, that can't be. Like, it just can't be. And I looked at him and I said, you don't effing know me like that. And it wasn't so much a mission of proving him wrong. Cause like, I, I'm not that guy. Like, if you tell me I can't, I'm going to do it anyway. Like I, I get within myself. And so I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to get back from this. So I was like, he, he doesn't, he knows medicine. He doesn't know me. Sure. Like he doesn't know my will to come back from this. So they told me I was going to have 18 months of physical therapy. I'd never bend beyond this, you know, and I was out of PT in four months. I was back working. I, w- um, I mean, I wasn't a hundred percent strength, strength back in four months, but I was out of PT. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably about a year I was back to doing everything I was doing beforehand. And then since then I've run over a, I did 133 obstacle races, a half marathon, a Spartan ultra 30 mile, (laughs) like so, so many, so many different things, but it's like what, what switched it for me was the pain. I was in so much pain right after surgery, so much pain. It was, it was like a hundred on that 10 scale. Mm -hmm. Cause while I was out, one one of the nurses told me, well, when I came back, that when he first sewed it back on, it was too high. So oh, he a- he actually had to undo it and redo mm. it. So the pain level was insane. Oh. And so he had told me, you know, don't put any pressure on it whatsoever. So I didn't. I went home with, with a walker at 34. That was cool. Right. <laughs> I had a walker and I had crutches. And so I didn't put any weight on it at all. So I had my first checkup one week later. And so I go, he's like, you know, you can start to put pre- pressure on it now. And I was like, okay. So like I, I push, push down, push down. I'm like, I dropped the crutches. And I started walking. I was like, I probably could have did that days ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Days ago. So ever since then, I took my own rehab into my own hands. For people listening, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just sharing what I did. All right. Don't be saying, well, Rob said, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, but no, but I, I took it into my own hands where I would take their guidance, but I found my own thresholds. So sure. like, so when I had my, I know I'm dominating the conversation, but uh, we'll get right no, back I'm to you. <laughs> and so when I had my shoulder surgery, they told me, you know, uh, no movement for six weeks. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. And mm-hmm. so I just started finding my own levels. I'm like, where can I go to where it's tolerable? And I just kept it moving. So same mm-hmm. thing. I go for my first checkup and she's like, all right, let's check your range of motion. I'm like, keep going. 
And I'm like, keep going. Like, keep going. That was mm-hmm. all the way up. She's like, mm-hmm. you have full range. I said, because I don't listen to you. <laughs> that if I listened to you, I'd still be stuck in the sling like this. <laughs> oh, man. You would be such a fun patient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the oh, PPs sure always get a kick out of me. Yeah, <laughs> they all get a kick out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so – off of that, basically, it blows my mind. And the surgeon that you had who saw you for that patella rupture, yeah, that sentence right there, like setting the standards and the expectation that, oh, I don't know anything about this person, but because I'm seeing this, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, That's so black and white. And I feel like recovery and rehab is a very much a gray area because everyone's so different, right? Yes. You going through that sort of an injury and surgery is different than, you know, some anybody else that's going to go through that sort of an injury yeah. and surgery. So when I have patients come in or they ask me or they say something like, oh, my surgeon said this. Do you think that that's true? Oh, my surgeon said that I shouldn't ever play sports again or I need to have surgery. It's like, OK, let's step back, figure out, you know there's more of a conversation to be had about it yeah. and setting those sort of strict guidelines right away already puts that preconceived notion in your mind as a patient. My doctor is telling me this, it has to be true. Most like there's not a lot of reasons to not trust a medically licensed doctor, surgeon, yeah. physician. Yep. Like, we know science. Those are facts. We've been educated. It's all good. So for the most part, like what we're saying has been, substantiated through science over the years but from a psychological perspective just to set up a person that way is it just killed that's awful and i hate when patients come in saying that when there's like oh yeah my surgeon said i won't be back for another like two years it's like what how did that that they don't even know what you move like or how you're supposed to move or what kind of an athlete you're before yeah like how can you like please don't think that like i i implore you like let's not just let that kind of, you know, go through your mindset. Yep. It's have, such a psychological thing. Have you heard of Les Brown? Uh, no, I, I actually no. can't have. No. He's a, he's a motivational speaker. Okay. Yeah, he's he's very he's very well, well known around the world. He actually spoke at a masterclass I was in a couple of days ago, a, a virtual one. Yep. And he has he has state stage 4 cancer. And so he said when he was at his doctor that, you know, the doctor gave him his pro- prognosis and said, you know, you're in stage four. And so Les says, so you're telling me I'm terminally ill. He's like, well, how much how much do I have? How much time do I have left to live? And he said, the doctor said, I'm just telling you that what you have is beyond my scope of helping you. How much time you have left on this earth is between you and God. You know, so like he didn't say you have six months to live. You have a year left to live. He's like, that depends on your will to live. I was like, that's awesome. That dude gets it. Yeah, he gets it. Whoever yeah. the doctor was treating him, that person gets it. And that's how you should be talking to patients. Yes. Cause like there, there's people who, who've been told, oh, you have 12 months to live. And 10 years later, they're still here. Totally. <laughs> yep. you know? I never want to set or limit expectations for a patient because I don't know what their boundaries are. Like, yeah. Humans are incredible. Like we are so like resilient and stubborn and we will always adapt to whatever is going on just yep. because that's how humans do things. So for you to set expectations or to limit somebody's ceiling for recovery or function is just, uh, to me, that's just 
not fair to the patient at all. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Even even in the the sports fitness performance world, it's the same thing. Like you, you go back to to uh, Roger Bannister doing the mile in under under four, four minutes. Like they said, it was impossible until he did it. Now over twenty thousand people have done it <laughs> <laughs> just because one person did it. And it's the same thing in the gym. And like I'll put boxes up and they'll be like, Oh, I, I can't jump that high. I'm like, you didn't even you didn't even try yet. Mm-hmm. It's like you just looked at it and defeated yourself. Or or mm-hmm. if I had the heavier kettlebells out, like, oh, that's too heavy for me. I'm like, once again, you didn't even try. Then they pick it up, they, they end up doing a straight minute worth of swings with, with that weight when they yeah. initially defeated themselves. Right. And I think a lot of that just as a person, as a patient, like perception is everything yes if you perceive something to be impossible then okay it's gonna be if you just keep thinking that but if you can understand and step back and realize that if you just create a solution to whatever that problem might be whether it's can i lift this kettlebell so many times can i jump on this box that's like past my hip levels like those are problems that we're trying to solve and it's possible. You just need to have the right coaching, training, routine, dedication, mindset. A lot of factors go into it. Yes. But like limiting human potential is not – it's just it's, – I, I don't think that we have a limit at this point. And I mean amazing things are done every single day on this planet by human beings that probably they have never done before. And you know, we just can't limit ourselves as humans and we can't – set expectations for ourselves that are way below what we can actually achieve. Agreed. So speaking of expectations for yourselves, so what what motivated you to, to start your own business versus just working under someone else? Oh, I got so sick of wearing dress shoes every single day. Um, that was the major motive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge thing, though. That was totally besides the fact. Um, I've always felt like... I really like doing things my way and I don't like other people telling me how I should be doing things when I know my way works really, really well. Yeah. So for me to have that sort of a mindset and, you know, certainly I appreciate and can take the four years of experience that I had working for another physical therapy company. That was necessary. That was necessary for me. It was necessary for my growth. It was necessary for a lot of different reasons, but it gave me the confidence in knowing that, okay, if I step out on my own and I do my own thing, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'll be all right. I'll figure it out. I might not have hundred percent success right away, but I'm going to figure things out. Um, I just really, really, really got in an awful routine where I had used to work um, over the years. And it, it just wasn't so much of a challenge for me anymore. And the patients that I was working with, weren't necessarily motivated to be there. Um, They just didn't really seem to care. And I wanted, that was draining for me. Like I was putting so much effort in knowing that the patient that I was working with wasn't going to reciprocate my effort. So that was draining for me emotionally, physically, mentally. And over time, it just got to the point where I was just beaten down. I was in a really, really, really rough spot over the last you know, year and a half because of the work that I was doing. It just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't mm. something that I loved doing. And that was for me, it's like, that's my passion is helping people recover from injuries and start to move better and have a better life. Like, that's what I love doing. But 
it got to the point where I was just legitimately like not excited to go to work anymore. Yeah. And so fortunately for me, things kind of fell the way that they did. And I was able to open up my own practice and, you know, it's been going really amazing from so many different perspectives since I kind of stepped out and did my own thing. But, um, there's, there's definitely a lot of reasons for that, but the biggest thing is just that I need to work with people that care, you know, Bingo. Yep. Bingo. Same, same. Like when, when I sit with prospects and I lay it out right up front, what the expectations are. And I know I'm losing money by doing that, mm-hmm. but at the same token, it's not about that. You know, like if, if someone pays me, they come in, they slack or they wreck our atmosphere or they don't get good, good results, which mm-hmm. doesn't turn into any referrals. Like there's no reason having them. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's just none. Yeah. Like, so I, I let them know upfront, this is how we operate. This is what I expect out of you. This is how we, we, we behave. We don't allow ABCD. And if you can adhere to all that, you can join the family. Like yeah. if not, then this is not the place for you. Dude, I love that. That's a great screening process to make sure that the people that you're working with are going to be valued clients and that they're going to tell other people about that and what you guys are doing. And I think it's so important because, you know, from my perspective, um, where I had worked before, like I would get somebody that comes in with a script and maybe they're in there for like a motor vehicle accident and their attorney sent them there. And like already right away, I'm rolling my eyes because I'm like, oh, Every other patient that I've worked with that's been in this situation is realistically there. And maybe it's not in the right context. Maybe, you know, obviously they might be in some pain, but they might also not just be like pulling their weight because they get some money back in the end. Mm. You know, the underlying motivations and the ulterior gotcha. motives that people bring to the table that always kind of has me raise an eyebrow. But if I genuinely know and understand where you're coming from and what motivates you and what you care about. Yeah. I'm going to give you 110%. Yeah. That's that's exactly what I need back from them. And I set those expectations on day one too. You know what I mean? And I think that's so important. Listen, you're going to come in here. You're going to work your butt off. We're going to do a bunch of different stuff every time you come in here. I'm not boring. We don't do things over and over again. This is going to be a really good progression of certain movements, activities, whatever we're trying to accomplish over the course of time. Are you in for that? Like, are you committed to that? I'm going to need you to do a home program. I'm going to need you to do X, Y, like, can you do this? And sometimes they can't. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep working on them. But hey, stop it. Mm-hmm. You got to just be direct with these people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And the, in turn, you know, you get the, lo- the law of attraction. You're going to just start getting people who are like that. Yeah. You know, so same thing with, with me. Like, I don't get people who want to bodybuild that, that come into me. I don't get the people that want to do snatches and cleans and stuff. It looks like that's, I mean, could I, can I do those things? Yes. Can I teach those things? Yes. But mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a power lifter. Like I'm more, you know I mean? You see how we, how, how we train. That's how I train myself, mm-hmm. you know, with the carrying the buckets and sandbag runs and climbing the ropes and, you know, swinging kettlebells, farmers mm-hmm. carries like that's, mm-hmm. that's the stuff I can do endurance stuff all day long. Give yeah. me t- give me ten bench presses and I need like five minutes to recover. Quick thirty, yes. Like the, the the heavy stuff drains me so bad. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, sorry, my phone timed out. All right, so you had you had written here about everyday movement patterns and habits shape who we are. Go 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 a little deeper into that. Yeah. So 
as human beings, we are the products of what environment we put ourselves in. Yes. Right? If you are somebody that sits at a desk all day long from work, guess what? You're going to create adaptations over time because of the position that you're putting your body in repeatedly on a day-to-day process. If you don't necessarily do anything to combat that, you're going to look like a chair. Okay. <laughs> that's literally what happens. And um, certainly that's one example, right. Of just like being able to sit down all day. But yeah, let's say for example, you know, somebody has an issue with walking. All they're doing all day is walking back and forth. Um, maybe it's like a mailman, right. But maybe the way that they're walking isn't necessarily appropriate. And over time they start to develop some sort of like injury, nagging pain, that kind of stuff. As humans, we're just the products of what our, what we put our bodies through. Right. And if we don't necessarily do something or give our bodies a different stimulus to get ourselves out of that typical position, we're going to get stuck there. Yeah. Right? That's where you start to see people that sit a lot. They're really immobile. They have a tight lower back. Their whole spine is rigid. Their hips are really tight. They have a really weak. Co- There's a lot of things that go along with being sedentary or not necessarily being athletic to your fullest potential. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people like don't realize that. Like I used to have people that I would work with that were in their eighties, seventies or whatever, and they'd be doing planks on the table. I'm like, that's right. Like get your butt up on the table. We're doing some planks. We're doing like, we're doing some hardcore stuff. And that goes back to not limiting our potential as human beings for movement. Right. Like if I were just look at somebody and be like, Oh, this person's 84, there's no way that they can do a farmer's carry. Yeah. How do I know that if I don't try it with them? Yeah. Why is there? Why would I limit that, or why would I not at least attempt it as long as it's safe and appropriate and medically yeah. necessary, all that good stuff? But like, if that's an intervention and a stimulus that's going to help a patient, that's going to be way more applicable than doing some boring like pelvic tilt or some straight leg raise, or whatever, like some stupid yeah. table exercise, right? Like, <laughs> Let's get them up, get them moving and give them a purpose and help them really regain their function. So, you know, just pushing people to their limits is so important to be able to help them reach their potential. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And as I was saying, when I was rehabbing from, from the, the shoulder surgery about finding the threshold, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what I t- tell my clients, like, don't walk over to the kettlebells and just find, find the light, comfortable ones and find one. You, you don't want to pick it up and be like, whoa, like that's way too heavy. But you mm-hmm. want to pick it up and be like, all right, I can do this one. You know? <laughs> like, like you want to find the threshold. Then if you do five or so and it feels too easy, go to the next one up. It's like, but j- just find where you, you can do it with the proper form, mm-hmm. but it's still making you work. Mm-hmm. And you know? that's a great way to dose the exercise, right? And I always try to think along those same lines, right? Where you're basically, form is key, form is the, all above all else, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. If you do one rep with perfect form, I would much rather have you do that. Understand that that was a great repetition. That's what it should look like. Then a thousand really crappy reps yep. and then think that you did something really good. Like I say that all the time. Good job. You did a thousand squats the wrong way. And yeah. You're going to have a ton of back pain. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's a certain, certain uh facility out there i'm not going to call them out but mm-hmm. i i took classes there a few few years ago mm-hmm. and it was there was a a board workout trying to be politically correct here right there was a board workout and there was a task 
you know, on the board. So there were pull-ups, there were push-ups, and I believe squats. Like how many rounds could you get in X amount of time? And I'm watching people do this. You know, I'm minding my own business too, but like I'm watching people do this and the necks are down on the push-ups, the hips oh. are sunk down. They're not oh. going full range. They're like, <laughs> and people are cheering. They're like, yay. Yeah. I'm like, people are cheering this nonsense? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, wow. Unreal. Yeah. That hurts right here, man. It really does. And, yes. I, and it hurts because I know it's real. And it's yep. such a thing. Like, I'm, I like to, I'm a people watch. I'm yeah. seven feet tall, basically. Like, I can see everything. Like, I'm always watching what's going on around me. Yeah. Particularly when people are moving, my eyes are locked in. Yeah. And I see it all the time at, you know, different gyms that I've been to in my life or on certain boards at different group fitness. <laughs> like the fact that people are excited and preach doing as many reps as possible when the way that they're doing those repetitions is going to facilitate a potential injury or a movement compensation mm-hmm. is, is just awful. And that's just we're doing such a disservice to our patients and our clients if we aren't very particular about coaching and making sure that the way that they're doing certain things is the most efficient way possible, yes. not to say that I should squat the way that you squat, but the most efficient way for me to squat, I should be able to do that without any sort of weight. And then from that point, add more weight, add more repetitions yes. and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it just really, really hurts me. And that, there are businesses out there that preach doing those things and think that it's okay and it's good for their clients. Yeah. Build this culture around doing as many reps as possible and, you know, lifting as much weight overhead as possible. It's like literally, unless you are Superman or you are in the WWE, you don't need to lift the weight over your head 5,000 times. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Why are you trying to? Yep, exactly. (laughs) All right. So let's talk back pain for a minute. Yeah. So, because that's that's probably the the number one. I mean, you would know better than me, but I want to assume back pain's like the number one thing to deal with out there. What are some stretches people can do to try to mm-hmm. alleviate that? Sure. So, back pain in general is the most prevalent injury that we see in an outpatient physical therapy setting, right? The reason why people have back pain is multifaceted. There are so many different reasons why somebody might have lower back pain, mid back pain, upper back pain, whatever. But nonetheless, most of those people that do have back pain would really benefit from some particular stretches. And a lot of people don't really understand that like stretching something is there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah. Basically, the way that I view it is performing a certain movement that's going to benefit you and improve your mobility and improve your flexibility. Yeah. So a stretch that I really, really, really love to do with patients that have lower back pain is just work on like, first of all, getting them to be able to control their pelvis and their spine and using a really good hip flexor stretch to open up the front part of the hip. Because typically people that I see that come in for back pain, they sit all the time, their hips don't extend very well. They don't rotate through their spine very well. And there's just a lot of tight musculature that puts their hips and their pelvis in a really unfortunate position so that when they're trying to do stuff like squat or lunge, there's just not a lot of space for things to move. So it's just about restoring a lot of hip mobility, a lot of spinal mobility, and then getting patients to be able to 
once they have that mobility, how do they use it the right way and coordinate their movements? So that way they're doing things in a particular order. That's not going to throw off, you know, their lower back or make their problem a little bit worse. Um, and my favorite stretch for the lower back or for the spine in general is child's pose. And that's just me. Uh, yeah. A lot of people have their own like favorite stretch. I love flexion. Like I'm a huge flexion guy. So the <laughs> fact that going into a child's pose position, it just feels great. Um, yeah. It feels great. Right. It's a full body stretch. You might feel it like I will feel a child's pose stretch probably in a different spot than you would feel a child's pose stretch. Yeah. But, you know, if you do it the right way, you're getting overhead reaching. You're getting full spine flexion. You're getting your pelvis to flex. You're getting knee flexion. Hip, it's it's just a great position mm. to be able to kind of get in tune with the ground a little bit, focus on your breathing, and it just feels good. So nice. I usually do that with a lot of patients, but it's it's very patient-dependent. For sure. So, do you know Jen Hurst? Why does that sound so familiar? Who's that? She said you introduced her to to uh, the foam roller. <laughs> oh my goodness, Jen! I apologize. You like that name sounds familiar. I can't picture a face in my mind. I'm so happy that you found the foam roller and it's now <laughs> that is so great. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Cool. That's great. All right, all right. So, how how can people get in touch with you? Um. So. They, I mean, you have all my information. We'll post it or, or whatever after the podcast. But primarily, the easiest way to get in touch with me is by emailing me. Um, my email, I don't know if you want me to shout it out now or if you want yeah, to. Message go ahead. Yeah, so it's T Swenson, just like my last name, at uh, it's dpt at gmail.com. Jenny, I just remembered you. I know exactly who you are in my head. I hope things are going well. I appreciate the foam roll comment. Um, <laughs> and then also, too. I have a couple. I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page. Um, you can check out Primal Physiotherapy and Sports Medicine. Uh, I'm up on Instagram and Facebook. You can all my contact information is up there. Right now, I'm having a website being developed. It should be out very, very soon. So nice. that website, when it's up, we'll make some announcements on Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And that way, you can schedule a free screen with me. You can ask me some questions or just get a little bit more of an idea about what we do over at Primal Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine. Nice. Yeah, Jen, Jen commented back and said that you, you worked on her back. Yeah, I know exactly. Yes, I'm so happy that she said something. That's great. Small right. world, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, we, we went to the same high school, Jen and I. Oh, no doubt. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. great. All right. So, so with physical ther therapy, too, a lot of people are, are afraid of co-pays. Mm -hmm. So, so do you offer ser services that don't go through insurance? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I basically charge for treatment is, do you want to pay through your insurance company? If you do, then I'm covered with a bunch of major insurance providers, including Blue Cross, uh, Aetna, Cigna, Tufts, TRICARE, and United. So that's all well and good. We can go through your insurance. Usually the copay is going to be a lot less than it would be out of pocket. And I, I didn't mean copay. So I meant the other one, uh, deductible. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of times people's deductibles are really, really high with their yeah. insurance plans. So they have to get a lot of treatment to even meet their deductible. Yeah. So sometimes they're just like, screw that. I'm just going to pay out of pocket. It doesn't matter anyways. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to come in for treatment and you just want to pay cash or credit card or whatever, it's 75 bucks for a 60 minute session. Um, and that 60 minute session depends a lot on what you want to do and your goals. 
and we can do whatever it is in the books that you want to get done to work on your goals, whether it's hands-on treatment, whether it's, you know, working on stretching or strengthening, whatever it might be. Like I always try to tailor my treatment plans directly to the patient's desires, goals, values, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, those are the two options that we have. We have cash, we have insurance coverage. Nice. Yep. Good, good. Any parting words for us? Um, no, listen, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. This has been a really great experience and, um, you know, I definitely look forward to continue to work with you in the future. And, uh, hopefully this isn't the last time I'm on this. I don't know if you do repeat guests or anything like that, but if you're thinking about it, I'm always down to have a conversation with you. Nice. I love it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for those of you who tuned in. Okay. Don't, don't sign off yet. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I, bu- <laughs> I bumped you too soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. So that was our show for this Wednesday. You can join me on Sunday where I have another guest lined up for you. And that's also at 11 a.m. And we have guests booked out through March. So this show isn't going anywhere at all. So again, thank you for tuning in. Remember, if you got goals that you want to get to, you got dreams that you're sitting on, if you want to change in your life, shut up and grind. This is Rob Foster signing off. Take care. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, actually, Tim, I might, I might, have, I might have to sign you off. All right. I'll, I'll catch up with you after. Because I forgot this isn't like Zoom. <laughs> All right. Yeah, See no you later. Worries, All right, bro. Take it easy. Yep. Bye. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster. On Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.